everybody. This is Sharon Hall, and I'm here today with Nancy Gregor-Holt from University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, who works in the Memory Disorders Clinic there. And um, I initially saw her at an FTD conference in North Carolina, and I just thought she had some wonderful information to share, and she's been on with me before. Uh, Nancy and, and I are going to talk about the COVID today. Uh, say hi, Nancy. Hi, everybody. Hope you're all staying safe at home. Yes, we're all trying, right? Uh, Nancy and I are first going to talk about advanced directives uh, because a lot of times people don't have it yet, and we want to make sure you have it and know what to do with it when you need it and uh, talk a little bit about post and so forth. So, uh, Nancy, do you want to just uh, take over and kind of handle that that section, and we'll talk about it? Sure. Sure. So um, advanced directives are part of advanced care planning, and they are um, a recommended quality measure in dementia care. Um, the advanced directives are usually the health care power of attorney and the living will. Those are documents that an individual completes. Um, they can complete them on a specific form that's approved by your state. You can do that with the guidance of an attorney, or you can do that, um, hopefully, if there's some forms that are written in more English than legal and you can understand it yourself. Um, some states require them to be notarized and some states they do not need to be notarized. So those are what advanced directives, part of the advanced directives. So the, these, those advanced directives, the healthcare power of attorney. So the healthcare power of attorney document is the document that assigns a person and then a backup person to speak on your behalf if you're not able to because you're too sick. Usually people have their um, spouse as their healthcare power attorney, but you can have anybody that you believe will follow your wishes be your healthcare power attorney, as long as they're um, not somebody that you hire so that there wouldn't be any conflict of interest um, and that they're at least 18 years old. Um, those are the basic rules in North Carolina. If you do not have a healthcare power attorney, then the person that would speak on your behalf would go in a certain order um, legally. It would be if you had a if you were a parent or a guardian. Um, if the person themselves initially would make their own decisions and speak that decisions, but if they could not, it would be their the parent or guardian. Then it would be. Um, the healthcare power attorney, if they didn't have a healthcare power attorney, then um, it would be the spouse. And if they didn't have a spouse, it would be the reasonable majority of the reasonable living parents, if you had parents. If they didn't have parents, it would be majority of living siblings. If you didn't have siblings, it would be majority of um, your children. And if you went down that whole line, long line of um, people and the person still didn't have one of those, it would be um, a person that was speaking on your, on your best, with your best interest. So it's, it is good to have completed these documents because that way you can make sure that you have told somebody what it is that you want um, if you were approaching the end of life or if you were very, very sick um, and you can hope that the person would follow your wishes. In North Carolina, where I practice, they're on the form, and the person is called their healthcare agent. I stress to people that 
this should not be a person that is making a decision for you. Lots of times they'll say your healthcare agent is the person that makes decisions for you. I hope, and this is how I see it, is the healthcare agent is the person that speaks my wishes. So I've already, so it's very important that we let our healthcare agent know what it is that we want. In my clinic, in the cognitive disorders clinic at UNC, it's very important that I um, encourage people to complete these documents when they have any kind of dementia. And the earlier in the disease, the better, because as people approach um, further on in their disease, when their cognition gets poor, they, they, they are not clear on what the ramifications are of decisions that they might make um, regarding life support. So I think it's very important, and I hope that your providers help you, um, guide you with this. The living will is the document that says what it is that you want. So basically what the living will questions are talks about whether or not you want to be put on life support. If you were in a condition where the doctors thought that you were going to die in a, in a um, pretty imminently, or if you were unconscious and they did not think you would wake up, or if you have a cognitive disorder and the doctors did not think that you were going to regain your cognition and your cognitive disorder was going to be um, a terminal illness. On the bottom of our living will, it also says, can your healthcare agent say something different? Can, can your healthcare agent speak something different than what you have on the living will? And you have two options. It says, my healthcare agent can override this living will. So say you said you did not want to be put on life support, but your healthcare agent said, yes, I want them to be put on life support. So you can either choose, yes, my healthcare agent can override this living will, or you can say, no, my healthcare agent cannot override this living will, which means that they have to follow the living will. So those are the legal documents. And then there are medical orders. So um, many of you have heard of a do not resuscitate form order. And that's a medical order. So it has to be signed depending on your state. In North Carolina, nurse practitioners and PAs can sign it as well as physicians. Um, in Georgia, I think Sharon said that you have to um, have it signed by a physician. So that's what a do not resuscitate is. A do not resuscitate comes into play if your heart stops. So if, if your heart stops, so if you've died, that's what definition of death is, that the heart has stopped then you do not want to have your heart, attempts to restart your heart should not be made. That's what do not resuscitate means. Some states call it do not attempt resuscitation, which I kind of like, but we don't have that in North Carolina, because when they say do not resuscitate, you think, well, you could either turn the switch on or, turn the, or not turn the switch on, but usually if somebody's that sick that their heart stops, often irregardless of what interventions providers do, it won't be and then further documented in Georgia, it's called a POLST, Physician's Order for Life-Sustaining Treatment. In North Carolina, it's called a MOST, Medical Order for, for Scope of Treatment. And these are interventions that you can um, decide on if, as the, if you, um, regarding medical interventions. It includes the do not resuscitate. It also often includes whether or not you want to go to the hospital Sometimes people make choices that they don't want to go to the hospital. If you do go to the hospital, you can choose whether or not you want to be put in intensive care or just want to go into intermediate care. 
It often will also ask whether or not you want to be on have antibiotics or whether you want to have a feeding tube or IV fluids. I don't usually um, present this form to people unless I feel like they might be in their last year of life. Now, nobody has a crystal ball, but with dementia um, and the progression of dementia, I often can get a, get an idea of if I feel like people are that frail that I wouldn't be surprised that they might die within the next year. Because things like, do you want to have antibiotics? If, you know, if you had a urinary tract infection, if your loved one had a urinary tract infection, but they were walking and talking and, you know, enjoying their meals and enjoying their friends and families, it would make sense for them to have antibiotics to treat that. However, if they were at the end of life and very frail and say, for instance, in the bed, you might choose not to use antibiotics. So and something like if it's that, the fifth UTI in a year, maybe that would make a difference too, Nancy? Say it again, Sharon. I didn't hear you. Like like if it was uh, someone's fifth UTI in a year. Gotcha. So they've had, this is gotcha. a fifth urinary tract infection this year. Right. Same with right. same with aspiration pneumonia. Right, right. If they're that frail, that it, it really depends on where they are in in their ability to enjoy life, their quality of life. Um, the way people die from dementia is usually by not being able to eat or drink enough, or by infections. So, if people continue to give antibiotics even when somebody is at the end of life it'll it does extend it can extend life but the question is it's a personal question is that extension of life beneficial to that person or is it extending the dying time so that's why these questions come into play there's nobody uh, Nancy I also excuse me Nancy but I also wanted to mention that you know, during during an emergency like this, you need to think about your own documents as well, uh, because something could happen to you. And um, a lot of people always think about, okay, I, we've got to get all these documents for the person who now has dementia. You need them for yourself as well. And emergencies like this brings that out, that if you happen to, to get COVID and you go into the hospital and um, you're deteriorating and they want to ventilate you, your wishes need to be known as well. Do you agree with that, Nancy? Uh, definitely. Definitely. I think that's a really great point. Um, about a month ago, um, I was expecting a patient to come through the door and the daughter-in-law came through the door instead. And she told me that the wife, the caregiver for the patient, had suddenly passed away. That was a bit of a shock. But um, in the discussion that we had about this, she said that the wife had really clear advanced directives about what she wanted and what she didn't want. And so I was really glad that, because I don't usually, sometimes if both people at the, at the visit, the patient and the caregiver tell me they don't have advanced directives, I'll give them copies of the blanks for both of, the, both of them and say, you know, it's really important that you both do it. But I usually, the patient. But yeah, um, COVID is a difficult one because it's it's a condition that it's not a chronic condition, but people do die from it. 
and we've you know we've seen that everybody's been watching the news and I've seen that there's been yeah in this country it seems like it's around two percent um some other countries it's been more it almost was like ten percent in Italy when I looked at the numbers the other day um, of death rate from the disease um but you have to look at the whole picture you look at the holistic if a if a person a very frail person um got covid and had to go to the hospital what would you know what is the benefit of their treatment outweigh the benefit of letting them be peaceful and pass away um those are those are hard questions but it's i think it would be a great thing if people can think about these things ahead of time and I think that kind of leads us into something here, uh, Nancy. You know, we had a, a lot of people ask about uh, people that are in memory care and their ability to not be able to see them because of the restrictions on memory cares now. And there's a lot of anxiety about that. And um, someone mentioned that their person is nonverbal, but they do uh, they do they do respond when they have touch with that person and they're worried about the fact that they can't touch them and uh because obviously they can't go in and visit so uh, is that is that something that's more about the person with dementia or more about the person visiting having anxiety over over the fact that they can't touch their person can we talk a little bit about that Nancy um, yeah, and I think that's a really difficult question. Um, we do need physical touch, and I think at this time it's very difficult to even think that there are people that want physical touch and can't even, you know, have their hand held. Um, if you're at home with your loved one, there's no reason that you can't hold each other's hands or hug each other. The six feet apart, if you're a home, home with your loved ones, I don't believe the six feet of social distancing needs to come into play unless you've been exposed or are very active socially out in the world. Like, if, for instance, I would think a person that might be a cashier at a grocery store, they they might be at risk of getting the disease. But most of us that don't spend much time out in the world and are following the recommendations probably are not at very high risk of getting the disease. Um, so I think at home, I don't see any reason. Sharon, what about you and your husband? How do you feel about the touch there? No, we don't. We don't adhere to the six actually have been sort of um, shelter in place for oh, going on three weeks now. And so obviously if either one of us had been exposed, we would already be uh, showing symptoms by now. So uh, we are not uh, adhering to the six-foot rule. Uh, we do adhere to the fact that we had groceries delivered yesterday. And if you have that service available, I highly recommend that you do that rather than going into the store. I know a lot of stores have times available for people that are compromised or older people to be able to go into the store early. And on that note, if you are under an elder age for a grocery store to be open early, you can go in as a compromised person. And and that would apply to you because you, you have someone with dementia and that is a compromised position. You are sheltering in place. So 
I would not be afraid to go to the grocery store at that time and explain why you're there early. Uh, but we had our groceries delivered, and we bring them in, and then we uh, wipe them all down with our wipes at home and then wash our hands thoroughly and throw those bags in the trash. So so that's our way of protecting ourselves from the person that may be delivering them who we know has been in the grocery store shopping for us. And uh, so uh, what about that? Do you think that's a good way to, to no, handle that, Nancy? Great. I think that's a great way to do it. Um, it's There's so much conflicting information about how long the virus can stay alive on inanimate services um, that it's best to err on the side of being very cautious, and I think that's a good idea. At my, uh, most of you know that, that are online, most of you know that my son has uh, colon cancer and has been in chemo treatments, and he and his wife are doing the same thing. So they, I mean, they are isolated. There's no, he can't go out at all. He just had his last treatment, but he, he doesn't go out at all. And, uh, but she, someone has to get groceries into the home. Uh, There are lots of things that are perishable. So that's what they're doing. They're wiping down everything when it comes into the house. And I think that's a good idea for all of us as well. Um, there we had we had a question come in, Nancy, that I'd like to address. Someone that's at home with two teenagers schooling at home, and their husband has a, a PPA, uh, and uh, they're they're in the later middle stage, and he has high energy and attention deficit, and it's hard to keep him occupied, and that's sort of a full time job. So um, they're asking about what happens with that. They're shadowing them, and they're having to do this schooling at home. Some people are working at home and have this challenge. Uh, So here they are working at home, and they have someone now that is in the house that likes to be high energy. And how do they handle working at home with the person at home as well? Uh, what are some of the things that we can think about in that situation? I think it can be really difficult these days. Um, so somebody with PPA, primary progressive aphasia, so he probably is, really struggles with finding words and understanding words. So that makes it difficult when you try to explain to a person, for instance, you know, I need to be on this phone call with work. I think it just makes it really difficult. So I, I feel like trying to develop routines and schedules for the day is a good place to start. Because when a day feels like 12 or 14 hours of open time to deal with your life and your loved ones and you feel responsible for somebody else, it just can seem quite daunting to see, think about that much time and not know what to do. So to try to, to figure out a schedule, put in meals, put in snacks, um, and then also add in in the schedule activities, different activities, and maybe a nap time, an outside walk. There's lots of activities that you could do. Sharon has a list. Um, she's found. A I'm list going to be posting that activities. list. Uh, so, 
posted list uh, when I post the uh, the uh, recording. I'll have a list of about a hundred different things that you that you can do. I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that some of these people have not been home with their person uh, on a twenty four seven basis, and so they're struggling with trying to find that thing that that will help. And I think a lot of this is having to do with being creative think about what they like to do like rod likes to garden you know he plants vegetables so he has his seeds those can be ordered online and delivered so he has his seeds he's not going out and and mingling and uh so he's here planting his seeds he certainly could do that it's in the backyard uh we on the nice days we've been going outside and just sitting we have bluebirds in our on our bluebird box and it's fun watching them uh taking a walk is fine in your neighborhood uh, there's no reason why you can't take a walk in your neighborhood uh if you you know are keeping that social distance from other people in your neighborhood that there, there's not there's nothing wrong with that i think some of us are a little bit too uptight about keeping distance in our home and keeping distance from all these people this is something that's going to be with us, and we have to learn ways to get out. Rod and I took a ride in the car the other day. There's no reason on earth that you can't go in your car and ride around. And even if you're in a shelter in place and you're not supposed to go out, you can still go out for essentials like groceries and pharmacy. So why can't you just ride around a little bit? There, I, I think that we need to kind of, keep it in perspective. Do you, do you think that's good advice, Nancy? Right. And when, when you hear these rules, such as shelter in place, think about what, what's the purpose of the rule. The purpose is that you don't get contact with other people. So if you're in your car taking a ride, the only people you're getting contact with is your loved ones who you're in contact with at home anyways. But I recently did have a discussion with a family, with a caregiver this morning about the same thing. And she said, no, we're not allowed to go out. The, the police will stop you. Well, we're not in that kind of state um, in this country. And, you know, you're allowed to go to the grocery store. So even if you're not going to the grocery store and you're just taking a little ride to as a as a break from the home, just say you're going to the grocery store. Um, there's lots of rules, and I think it gets very confusing. On the news last night, they were talking about things that are safe to do and things that are not safe to do. So taking a walk is a safe thing to do. Going to a playground and touching the playground equipment is not a safe thing to do. Um, being with your family outside, since you're around, used to being around with your family, is a safe thing to do. But there was a reporter that talked about how she had scheduled play dates with another person's family, and they say that's not a great thing to do because they're different families and they might have different unknown exposures. Um, so I think we just need to figure out what makes sense and understand how germs spread. Um, and just have the hygiene with the hand washing and caution with the social distancing. Uh, let's, let's talk so, about um, hand washing, Nancy. I know a lot of people, uh, you know, sometimes a, a person is not very compliant when you want them to do certain things. Uh, is mm -hmm. hand washing, if we need to do the hand washing with someone because we've, they've been in contact with something that you're, you know, we should have hand washing anytime, especially when you eat and things like that. But um, do you have any suggestions about 
how we can try to incorporate that person into hand washing uh, when they're maybe not as uh, agreeable as, as they might be. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, one thought is maybe you can just, you know, fill a sink full of soapy water and put a couple dishes in there, plastic dishes, plasticware, and let them wash in quotes the dishes, and then they are washing their hands because there's soapy water in there. And if they're really not cooperative with hand washing, it's just like we know some people are not cooperative with showering. Um, then there's always the the sanit- hand sanitizing, um, the washless hand sanitizing which they say is not as good, but it's better than nothing. So, and then there's the wipes, you know, antibacterial wipes that you can use as well. I think, I think I've not found anybody that we couldn't get some of these strategies to work for. Um, If they're that aggressive or resistant to care that none of these strategies work, you might want to think about, what can you do to make them less fearful of care? Um, and do you need to? I do want to let everybody know that uh, Nancy obviously is at home, and um, sometimes she doesn't have a connection that kind of comes in and out sometimes because she lives um, rather out in the country. So um, please bear with us with that. And Nancy, if you could just kind of repeat what you just said because it kind of broke up a little bit. Okay, I'm going to try to move my spot here. What I was talking about was if people are very resistant to personal care or hand washing, then it's probably that they've been resistant to care for other things as well. Sharon, are you able to hear me okay now? I am. Care resistance is a very common symptom um, of dementia and FTD, and it can be really distressing to family members and to their and to their loved ones. And there are lots of different strategies that are suggested. And then we need to think, does this person need care and they're not letting us give them care? What, what can we do if we've tried a lot of different strategies? So what I had said earlier was, you know, fill, fill the sink full of soapy water and give them a couple, you know, plastic cups to wash. And so that way they're washing their hands, thinking that they're washing some dishes. That might work. Um, and I, if the distress of – say again? I, I was just going to say that I think we, we all have to keep in mind that during these times, we mean, we just need to be creative. And, and think about it. You know, think, think about what you're doing. Now, you know, we always used to say, you know, nobody died from not taking a shower. And nobody died. Well, you know, now we're all going, ooh, we could die. But, you know, be practical. If you haven't been exposed Mm -hmm. and you've been inside for a couple of weeks and nothing is working to get them their hands sanitized before they eat, oh, well. So, you know, I I think we need to ease up a little bit on some of our fears. I, I think that people are getting ginned up a little bit about it. The other thing about that is keep the TV off with the with the news. Don't be watching. If you're going to watch, do it on an iPad with with your earphones on. Don't do it in front of the person that that's affected with dementia because you're you're just you're making trouble for yourself. And so stay away from that news and you know relax a little bit. Uh, you know if you're 
it's one of those things where if you haven't been exposed and and you're inside and you're taking precautions, as Nancy said, your chance of, of contact contracting this, this COVID is fairly small. Now we're not saying just throw caution to the wind here, but we're saying if there's if if you're going to have lunch and at lunch that person just doesn't want to cooperate, oh well. I don't think that they're going to get COVID by eating their sandwich. Does um, that sound reasonable to you, Nancy? Yeah, I think that sounds reasonable. Um, but I, I do, you know, I do, care resistance is a big problem. And you, you can say, well, you're not going to die because you don't take a shower. But, you know, if people are very, very resistant to personal care, there is a point where you have to think about, you know, do, is it the air anxiety? Are they getting get a rash because they're not giving good hygiene, especially with toileting? And if that is a, an issue, then are they on medication that's going to help them a little bit with their anxiety? So I'm not adverse to medication. I'm not one that says don't use any medication. But often the resistance is, has to do with anxiety, being afraid of others, maybe having some history of being touched. We don't know. Um, but, you know, we need to think about what, what is causing them the distress. If they are not somebody that just baseline doesn't like to take a shower and they're getting irritations or rashes, we need to help them. We need to figure out a way so that I agree with the if you can't get them to wash their hands. I mean, you can give them a wipe. You can give them you can squirt some hand sanitizer in their hands. You could just try whatever you can do. But you're right. Yeah. If the germs are not going to magically appear in your house if nobody is coming into your house that has the germ and you're not going anywhere right. to pick it up. Can we talk about this fact? I know that social distancing has become such a thing. And um, can we talk about how this virus uh, goes from one person to another a little bit to relieve some anxiety for people? Well, that's why we they recommend the six-foot social distancing because they mostly the most common way for it to travel from one person to the next is respiratory droplets but they also do say that the droplets of the virus can be on an inanimate inanimate surface and can survive on some surfaces for up to 72 hours so on like for instance on metal or plastic or something that's impermeable whereas on other surfaces such as cardboard they say 24 hours and that's why they say when you get a package you should leave it be for 24 hours and, you know, as long as it's not been touched. I, I you know, I think people, there's a, I've, I found out that there's a big continuum of safety, even amongst my own friends. You know, some people are, you know, getting up at 6.30 to get to the grocery store to be there when nobody's there. Um, I even have a friend that's checking her temperature every day. Um, I, I don't, you know, I decide knowing the information because the information changes on a regular basis. Now they're even saying that there's some information that it's some kind of GI connection, which then it has to do with, you know, making sure that we wash our hands after we toilet. Um, so it, the information seems to change on a regular basis because we don't know. This is a very new virus. Yeah. And, and I think that, like I said, I want to, I want to encourage people to just kind of relax a little I mean, I, I have a son who is very immunocompromised uh, with chemo. And, uh, you know, we, he does not, yes, he is isolated. But yesterday, 
when he was disconnected from his chemo, and, and we're talking about, I mean, that's serious immunosuppressed. And um, all the neighbors, they live in a complex, and the neighbors were out in the parking lot. Everyone was sitting about 10 feet from each other, and all of them had masks on <laughs> because they know Brian is sick. And so he went down and sat with them for a little while with the dog and he kept falling asleep because he just got disconnected from chemo, but they're taking every single precaution they can take. And in that situation, Mm -hmm. that's really compromised. So I Mm -hmm. want to encourage people to be a little more relaxed and not be so uptight. I think our anxiety feeds our person with dementia. So Take care of yourself. You know, if you're feeling anxiety over this, listen to to some calming music. I mean, we have Alexa, and we tell her to play spa on Sirius XM, calming music. And just relax yourself a little bit and take precautions. We're not telling you not to take precautions. Take precautions. But don't go here. Don't make yourself nuts, and don't make the person with dementia over have over anxiety over all of this because I think we make our own problems then. I definitely agree. I def yes, I definitely agree, Sharon. Some you know, there last week there were a couple times where I was watching I, I think I realized I was watching too much news and I don't even watch that much news. And it can put me in a pretty dark place. <laughs> and I realize that I just cannot do that. I cannot watch that much news, you know. So do I want to watch a, a movie, you know, a sad movie, or do I want to watch something that's comedy or junk, like America's Got Talent? So, you know, you turn something that's mindless and enjoyable because you need to get a distraction and get things out of your mind. If you're thinking about this all the time. It it, it will really bring you down. Yeah, I, I so, think it's... We're right. Yeah, I, and I think it's important for us to realize that we as caregivers are at a higher anxiety level because of this. And put it in perspective. If you are taking precautions, if you have been self-isolating, your chances of contracting coronavirus, uh, COVID, is fairly small. And just keep that in mind and keep in mind that we don't all have to go crazy over this. Yes, take precautions. Mm-hmm. And these let's understand that these precautions are not going to be done anytime soon. Let's just say that. It's not going mm-hmm. to be over anytime soon. The experts in science are telling us this, and we need to prepare ourselves for a new normal. And these precautions that we're taking with hand washing and things like that now are going to remain with us for months and months and maybe a year until the vaccine is out. So let's get used to this new normal without this high anxiety and watch the Three Stooges, for goodness sake, instead of the news. I mean, I'd rather watch reruns of the Three Stooges than than watch some of these press conferences that send you into a tailspin. So stay away from that. And you know what precautions mm-hmm. you need to take. And, and and keep those precautions in mind all the time. But for goodness sake, watch the three stooges and laugh a little bit, huh? Don't don't get so hung up on this. 
And we all know that, that anxiety right. or stress, yes, and we all know that anxiety or stress can worsen our, our mental health can worsen our physical health. So it could make you more susceptible to not being able to fight germs as much if you're feeling highly anxious. You know, we're not just a body, we're a body and a mind that connect together to cause a, to call, to become a person. So we need to make sure that our anxiety level is trying to be modulated so that we are healthier as well. Um, and, if and, you, you know, call. You I'm sorry. If you can't do that yourself, call your physician. This may be a time for you to have some medication both for you and your person with dementia. Let's understand that these are difficult circumstances and different than any other time. So if you have to have short-term medications for both of you to quell this anxiety that's making things worse for everybody, do so. Do you think that's reasonable, yes. Nancy? Yes, yes. You know, they're, they're, they are very concerned that, you know, Substance abuse is going to increase. You know, other other causes of self-harm is going to increase. And some people drink more alcohol to help take care of the anxiety. But it's probably much safer if you're feeling very anxious to consider being on a mild antidepressant for a while to help manage your anxiety and stress level. Um, it's a much safer product. Um, so I would definitely contact providers. I don't work in primary care anymore, so I really don't know um, if there has been an uptick on people calling about stress-related disorders, although that's what the news has been saying. So um, we all know that there are. What about having um, FaceTime conferences or Zoom um, conferences with friends and families just to enjoy each other? I think your loved one with dementia might not understand if the person is on the screen where they are, but they could still probably understand if they can hear the person's voice or use the phone because that's something that we understand. Let's go talk to your let's go talk to your son for today, you know, for fifteen minutes. That'll be a fun thing to do. Yeah, and so I think that's what a lot of people face, are doing. Yeah. If somebody is in memory care and you can't physically go to see them Use FaceTime. Work with that facility on what they have available. They may have some laptops there where you can send in a uh, a drive and and have the person just watch like it's television. They may be able to respond to that just by seeing your seeing your face and listening to your voice rather than mm -hmm. physically touching. So you know to be mm -hmm. creative about like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you. Here's an idea for you. If you're recording yourself and you're going to send this in to, your, to the facility, put your hand on the screen and say, John, put your hand next to mine so we can touch each other. What's wrong with that? Creative. Uh, just, you know, think about <laughs> those kinds of things. And another thing I want to bring out is that, you know, some people that are living with someone with FTD have a hard time getting over. Why can't he stop doing that? He's telling me this again. <laughs> if you don't get over that, you're going down with a ship with this thing. Because you have to say it's their brain. Their brain is deteriorating. I have to learn to handle that before I can even come close to handling an emergency like this. Right, Nancy? Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. 
those of you that get really stressed about what your person is doing, I can't believe he's doing this. I can't believe he's doing that. I can't believe he said this for the 15th time today. Get over it. Get over it now. Because, because you're going to be living with this for a while. <laughs> You've got to find and, ways to handle it. Mm-hmm. And I hate to harp on the, um, the, the concern with medication, but the data shows that 50% of caregivers, at least 50% of caregivers, develop depression. And anxiety is the other side of the coin of depression. And usually we use the same medications to treat that. So if you are already stressed enough because you are a caregiver, and by definition a caregiver is somebody who cares for somebody, and you, you try to make this person's life as ideal as possible, but you only have so much control over their life. You only have so much control over their moods and their feelings and their understanding because the disease has taken a lot of that away. So we need to think about how to take care of ourselves so we can also take care of our loved ones. Yeah, and and listen, you know, I've told people this before. I am on antidepressants and have them for some time. And when my son got his surprise colon cancer diagnosis, I increased them. It was hard for me. (laughs) Only child. I have no shame in saying I need help. And I think all of you need to have that same mindset. If you need help, reach out and and have someone help you. Have to have a sounding board that you can call. If you need to go in the closet and put a pillow against your face and scream at the top of your lungs, do it. Just Think about this, you know. I, I just want to encourage people to understand that this is stressful, but we've been in this stress for a long time, some of us. And, you know, this is just a little bit of added stress that we have to deal with the same way. So mm-hmm. relax a little bit. Thinking about um, the support that caregivers get, um, I, I hope many of you are participants in support groups. And now that we're not able to get together, it would be an idea to use use a, an app to get together um, online with your support group. I've been doing it with my book yep. club. I've been doing it with my quilting group. And, you know, just be able to spend 45 minutes looking at each other on a face on a screen and chatting about how your days have been going and, you know, maybe some strategies that you've tried. I think that would be a great thing. I don't know. Has any Have any of the support groups decided to do something like that? Yes. My support group meets on the first Wednesday of the month. Um, to, I have an AFPD support group, and um, I have already set up a Zoom, and we're going to be meeting by Zoom. I have a Zoom account. If you don't, there is a free account. Uh, but find ways, even Facebook, Find each other. You can group FaceTime, uh, you know, something to get together. And I know AFTD is working hard on their support groups being able to stay in contact with their people that are attending the support meeting. So talk to your mm-hmm. uh, support group leaders and find out what they're going to be doing to continue their support. Sometimes you mm-hmm. may need to mm-hmm. Uh, you may recommend to your support group leader, listen, I'm really frazzled here. Can we do this every two weeks instead of once a month? Make those suggestions. Mm-hmm. Uh, find mm-hmm. that help. Mm-hmm. Even if it's neighbors you're doing it with. Right. 
it might be a silver lining, this whole social distancing and self-quarantining that people cannot get out. Because I know there's a lot of caregivers that don't have the ability to go to support groups because they have no one to watch their loved one. So maybe support groups will, you know, pop up that do things like Zoom. I know there are many that are online, but it's not the same with just putting in comments and people chatting, replying to your comments as if you're able to see somebody and see them emotionally and how they're feeling and get some empathy from them that you can get visually much better than if you do in the writing format. Um, So maybe that'll be part of the silver lining. Well, remember that on caregiving.com, I have a uh, bi-weekly chat on Mondays and Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And, yes, it's typing, but I can do Zoom as well. If enough of you that attend this support group uh, on caregiving.com want to do it via Zoom, all you have to do is let me know, and I will set up a Zoom so we can meet face-to-face through the computer, but at least have a person to be looking at you instead of just typing. So please let me know if that's something that you want, and I'd be happy to set it up. My Zoom account holds 100 people. So, you know, please let me know. You can reach me at SharonHall419 at yahoo.com. And I don't care if you have FTD or some other dementia. I know I've posted this on because this is good for all dementia here. So I don't care what dementia you have. If you want me to set up a Zoom on a regular basis, please email me. I will be happy to do that at a time that works for people. That's great. I think that'd be a great thing. Yeah, we all have, you know, we're all in this together. And those of you that may not have someone with FTD that maybe have Alzheimer's or a Lewy body that may be listening, uh, you know, it's the same for all of us. We all have the same challenges. Uh, We all have to deal with things that we haven't ever dealt with before. And some of you that are now having to be at home when you're normally not at home, this is new territory for you. And give yourself a break it's going to take you a little bit of time to figure out the activities that may um, may encourage your person to be involved. It may it may take a few times to see if they like Tuges or if they or if they'd rather see uh, uh, their favorite comedian. Things stream all the time, and most of us now have gotten to the point where we have a smart TV, and you can even go to YouTube and and start a channel. Start your own family YouTube channel and and have other people in your family be able to connect with that on their TV. So, you know, be creative. Think of ways that you can interact with other people during the day so that you are getting a break as well. And think about how your person can interact as well. Also, make those suggestions to your memory cares. Say, listen, uh, you know, my person, I keep saying Three Stooges, but I'm just using it as an example. My, my person loves Three Stooges. Could you please find a channel where they can watch that sometime during the day? Uh, so you make those suggestions. That, go out there. Be bold. Just say, this is what we need. And, uh, you know, you, 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 have to, you have to find a way here. You have to find a way. And find a way to relax yourself as well. Nancy, you have anything to add? Um, I think they're all great ideas. I think 
the more we can do to help take care of each other. You know, a lot of times these discussions are mainly about um, the person with the dementia, but I think we're all in a very different place right now and having to figure out how to take care of ourselves as well. More than more than we would if we were just the run-of-the-mill caregiver with somebody with dementia or FTD, which is a very hard role to be in anyways. But in these times, I think this is a very difficult time because we're all losing our ability to socialize. You know, that's one of the main things that helps with any kind of dementia is socializing and exercising. I tell that, you know, it's my last words, everybody walking out of the clinic, I say that. And I'm thinking now we're like isolating people. So as much as we could do. And then we also need to think about the exercise. We can't go outside. As long as you have a distance apart from each other, um, I think it's important to put that into your regular activity. If people are able to walk, that's one of the best activities we can do. But I think we all need to make sure we get, and that's good for our mental health as well. Yeah, so, you know, loosen up a little bit on your fear. Uh, you know, heed the, heed the things that are being told to you by the CDC. And, uh, you know, adhere to the hand washing and the distancing when you're outside. But don't stop your life. And don't have anxiety overtake all of you. Uh, this, this, is, this will end at some point in time. They will have a vaccine at some point in time. But let's understand that this will be going on for a while. We need to find our new normal. We have to feel comfortable with our new normal. And we have to find ways to engage the people that we're living with in activities that keep them happy, keep you happy. And I know we talk about don't set somebody in front of the TV all day. Hey, this might be the time when you may have to do that for one day. So bend the rules a little bit that you've been hearing to as well. Right. Eat more ice cream. <laughs> yeah, eat more ice cream. Absolutely. I order two at a yeah. time. I always say, people, I always ask my patients, yeah, I said, do you like ice cream? Of course, you know, most people with FTD, they have a sweet tooth. So, you know, I say eat more ice cream. We need those comfort foods. Now, we, here in Georgia, we're, you know, we're on takeout for restaurants. And I had, I had Walmart, you know, I I order pickups a lot of times from Walmart as well. And I had waited up till midnight to get a time because it's been hard. And um, they arbitrarily, two hours before I was supposed to go, canceled my order. It's curious. Uh, <laughs> and, and I called and complained mm. about it. And so, you know, I, I was complaining. But I said to Rock, come on, let's get in the car and take a ride. We have a donut shop here called Monkey Donuts that's absolutely the most fabulous mm. donut world. <laughs> Rob loves their cinnamon rolls. They have a drive through So we went oh. and we got a dozen donuts. And I said, if we sit down and eat them all tonight, I don't care. What's wrong with that? It's not not bad. So, you know, do things like that. Um, We have Culver's here. He loves uh, concrete mixers. They sent us a thing about our drive-up is open. There's no reason why you can't use your hand sanitizer. And a lot of them are only taking cards. Be aware of that. They don't want cash. So uh, they don't want their people touching cash. But if you go to the drive-up and you you take that cup from them, take this hand sanitizer and wash the little cup and wash your hands, it just be practical. But don't stop your lives. 
please, please don't stop your lives and don't stop sharing with other people. And find out from your AFPB support group leader if they're going to have another way to connect. And please, again, if you want to Zoom, you don't have a place to get it, please contact me at SharonHall419 at yahoo.com, and I'd be happy to set up a Zoom. You may see me on my jammies, but I'll be there. <laughs> and Sharon, I'd be happy to go to this. I'd be I'd be happy to go to the Zoom party too. So if you set it up, let me know. Yep, absolutely. I'll uh, I'll put it out there, and and anybody that wants to come to the Zoom party, come to the Zoom party. You know, Rod even has those of you that have people with with FTD. There is a group that meets by Zoom every week on on um, on Zoom. So. Uh, if you're on Facebook, it's uh, you, you connect with Cheryl Whitman, and uh, there is a group that meets every week. That I don't remember the day. Rod always on one o'clock, and they talk to each other with FTD. So if your person is capable of doing that, reach out, do that. That wow. that keeps them busy for an hour, and it gives you an hour to listen to soothing music. So what's the mm-hmm. resource? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds great. Yeah, we're coming to the end here, and um, I hope we've been of some help to you. I, I hope that you'll take some of these things to heart and kind of get over <laughs> this anxiety we're all having. And, and you know, modern medicine is, is terrific. If you have to go on a little medication for a while, don't don't be so closed-minded. I, I know we don't want our people on psychotics, but... In a time of emergency, sometimes we have to do what we have to do. So, and I don't think, there. and I don't think we should have. Yeah, I was saying about the medicine. I don't think we should have any strict rules about that. I think if we need to have medication to treat symptoms of distress, I think we need to do that because we shouldn't have yeah. distress. It should okay. all be about quality of life. Yeah, and you try to handle it without it if you can't. Make it your last resort. That's fine. But understand that this is an emergency time and we all need to do what we need to do to get by. And um, let's all stick together. You know, I talk about the redwoods. We're all redwoods. Our roots are intertwined, and that's how we hold each other up. We are redwoods. And so be redwoods. Reach out. Let somebody know you need to talk. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would be happy to help you. Stay safe keeping washing your hands and doing all your, your things that the CDC tells you to do, but um, do relax and, and do understand that this is a new normal that's going to carry on for some time, and you have to find a way to deal with it. Nancy, any parting words? I, I think all the suggestions that you gave and just the, part, and the importance of us staying connected somehow and staying safe is just really, really important. Think about if your mental health suffers, then it could also affect your physical health. Absolutely. So have a good day. Uh, We'll be doing the podcast again next month, and I'll put all that information out for you. But pass this along. If you know another caregiver, I will be posting the uh, recording of this. And um, please pass it along if you know of anyone, and and, uh, hopefully we can help some people here. So have a great day. Love all my redwoods. Stay strong. And we'll talk. Bye. Bye bye.